morning, everyone. I'm sure many of you have uh, received an email like I received not so long ago. It may come up behind. It doesn't matter if it doesn't. But uh, it goes along the lines of, Nathan, our records indicate that your dental checkup is due. <laughs> I get these regularly. Now, um, there's sort of certain feelings that come to mind when you get one of these emails. And um, I'm actually thinking that on my subject today, the same sort of feelings may come to you. Uh, as I bring this subject, because I'm going to speak on the subject of fasting. Now, I can see the thrilled faces around the room. Is there that sense of, oh. Because it's one of those things where we, like, like, like a dentistry, we, we kind of think about the pain involved. We think about the cost we kind of know it might do us some good, but we think we can probably get by without it. That's true of dentistry, isn't it? Sometimes. Or well, for me, it is anyway. I think sometimes we're the same with fasting. We know the pain involved. It's, no, it's costly. And we can probably just get by without it. I'm hoping today, I'm not a fasting professional, but I'm hoping today I will be able to give you the benefits the, I want to place before you an enthralling idea of the possibilities of fasting for you and for us as a church. Now, I, didn't, I know when I'm immediately talking about denying something, taking something away, people will be thinking, ah, oh, this, is, this is going to be a tough, a tough talk. So, but, so that's why I'm going to pray now. <laughs> okay. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, come. I don't want this talk just to be another load, another burden that I put on us as a family. Father, I, I pray that we would know such joy and liberty and freedom in this message. I pray that in denying of one thing, we would receive a greater portion, the better part. We've just been seeing all I need is you, Lord. So help me with my words. Holy Spirit, minister people right now. Amen. Okay. So the dentistry illustration does have its kind of limits because the benefits of going to dentistry is you might get a nice smile. Now, I, I, as I prayed, I believe that through fasting, we don't just get a nice smile, but we, there's something of heaven and of his divine plan and purposes and his goodness released to us. And, um, and so that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about why we should fast. Why fast? I do hope, actually, very simply, at the end of um, this time together, like that email I got about booking an appointment, I'm hoping that you will be so quickened in your spirit 
that you will book an appointment with God, that you will put in your diaries at the end. I would love for that to be the case, that not in a legalistic way, but you are so enthralled at the opportunity and the possibility of fasting that you will quickly book an appointment and you'll get your diaries out, you'll get your phones out and you'll put a date and you'll say, I'm going to commit this day to fasting and praying. Okay? All right. Just as a, just as a couple of things on the outset. Um, some people here won't be able to abstain from food and I understand that. And I want you to be completely free. There'll be medical reasons. There'll be... <laughs> Maybe you've had a history of an eating disorder or maybe you're breastfeeding or pregnant and I understand and that's fine. And we are, you know, there is no burden on you. Biblical fasting is the absence of food. It is not eating. But there are other things that you can do. There'll be other things which, um, other desires, other things which uh, maybe come sometimes before your desire of God, which you can just abstain from whether it be social media or computer gaming or the television, soaps, whatever it may be. But I don't want you to kind of just immediately turn off and go, well, I can't do this. I'm not... Are you hearing me? Okay. Um, also, hunger pains is not a medical disorder. <laughs> okay. Now, um... I'm going to just, let me just read some scripture to you. I'm going to read lots of different scripture because I'm doing a subject. I'll be going to different parts of the Bible just to uh, help you. But I'll read just two scriptures. So Matthew 6, 6 to 18 says this. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So that was Matthew 6, 16 to 18. And then let me read from Luke 4, where we see Jesus' example. So just before he's tempted, we read this, Luke 4, 1 to 4, and then I'll skip to 14 and 15. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, he was hungry. Not surprising. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And then we'll skip uh, to verse 14, where this is kind of the, just on the eve of him setting out on his ministry. It says this, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And the report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now, I know for myself, I'm not entering in and receiving this grace, grace gift of fasting to its full potential. I, if I'm honest, I do do it, but very sporadically. And I, I want us all to grow in this, 
together as a family. I believe God put this on my heart to share with you. That together, this is kind of a, a hidden tool, a hidden discipline which God would just like to bring back to us as the church. <clears throat> so although the Bible doesn't explicitly command that you should fast, it's throughout scriptures. And um, you can see throughout the early church, the vibrant early church, that this was a regular thing that they did together. So in uh, Acts 14, it says, With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And also, in the passage I just read earlier, there isn't a kind of assumption that we will fast. I don't know if you noticed it. It starts with, and when you fast. It doesn't say, and if you fast. It says, when you fast. So there's an assumption by Jesus that we will be doing this. And I'll come back to that. And of course, there's Jesus' example that I've just read as well. He, if anyone we thought didn't need to fast, we would have thought it would be him. But him, he was full of the Spirit. He said he was full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit. And yet still, he thought, no, I need to fast. I need to abstain from food before I get tempted, before I launch out into my ministry. So, I'm going to look at how many, I've got about six reasons why I think we should fast. The first one, and probably the most important and primary one, is intimacy. This is where it all starts and ends, in my mind. It's intimacy with Jesus. It's an intimacy and focus with Jesus. And I believe fasting can help and aid us in this. I guess if I asked you all, would you like to deepen your relationship with Jesus? We'd all say yes. Well, I believe fasting is one of the tools that we have. To, we've spoken recently about plumbing the depths, scaling the heights, receiving the bigger ingot of gold. Yes, remember these words over us. I believe that in order to do that, we need to remove every hindrance and uh, distraction from us that we might come in and focus and be intimate with our living Lord Jesus. There's a, there's a song that we sing sometimes that says, Majesty, empty-handed but alive in your hands. That kept ringing around in my head this week. We come empty-handed, but we are alive in his hands. We come with nothing. And fasting is a symbol of that, coming emptied, laying down everything that we might come unrestricted into the presence of the Lord Jesus. By removing everything that we've put our trust in or made our focus, maybe treasured or desired above Jesus, we can come and focus on Jesus. And we remind ourselves that we're only really truly satisfied in Jesus. It's interesting that we're, we had the bread just now. And when we take the bread, we remember back to Jesus coming, don't we? And um, him dying on the cross. I think when we abstain from bed, bread, we're actually looking forward to his coming again. And because we won't do it when he comes again, we're just doing it until we wait for the bridegroom to come for his bride. And so when we, we deny ourselves from bread, we're remembering that he is coming again.
And it's interesting, in the first bit of the 40 days when he was in the wilderness, the first thing that the devil tried to tempt um, Jesus with was with bread, with a loaf of bread. But what was uh, Jesus' response? He said, man shall not live by bread alone. Man shall not live by bread alone. But how often do we live by bread alone? Bread is only actually a substitute and a signpost to the greater part, to the greater bread, the bread of life. So what things are you substituting Jesus for? It may not be bread. It may be other things which are here on earth for good and good gifts, but are not the real thing. Things like marriage, it's just a substitute. It's a, it's a, it's a signpost. It's, a, as it were, a trailer to our marriage with the Lord Jesus. You cannot put all your hope in earthly marriage. You cannot put all your hope in bread. Bread is, we think, one of man's kind of basic needs. But actually, man's basic need is the bread of life, is Jesus. And so I think in us fasting, we become, we realize where we need to put our full trust and our focus. There was an illustration someone mentioned to me recently about a man who was obsessed with this uh, signpost to the Niagara Falls. And he was telling everyone about it. He said, yeah, this amazing signpost. It was beautiful. It had a picture of the falls and everything. But this guy never followed the signpost and went to the actual Niagara Falls. For us, we can get distracted by the signposts that we have here on earth, like food, like bread, and we can miss the main thing. Philippians 3.8 says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Okay, secondly, so firstly, we fast for intimacy with Jesus because it all stems from relationship with him. Secondly, guidance. We fast to seek the Lord's direction and understand his perspective. We want to hear God's perfect divine plan and purpose, don't we? For our own lives, but for, for, this, for us as a church, we want to know his divine plan and purpose. Acts 13, 2, 3 says this, While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then again, then after fasting and praying, they laid hands and then sent them off. This is the beginning of Barnabas and Saul as they established the early church. They sought the Lord and uh, it says, 
the Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit said. We want to seek the Lord individually as a church. As we come up with our week of prayer and fasting, we want to seek the Lord. We want to hear what the Holy Spirit says. Why don't we pray and fast that we might hear what the Holy Spirit says to the church? And again, we, we, we um, see Jesus again, his example. Before he set out on his ministry, he fasted. He wanted to hear God. He wanted to know what he, was do, what he was set out to do was God's plan and God's purpose for his life. It helps us as we navigate through temptation, as, he, uh, as we fast, as we set aside. We, we can understand, like, like Jesus was able to resist the devil and triumphed over every temptation that came to him. We can do that too as God guides us. So we fast for guidance. Thirdly, repentance. We fast to humbly turn from any rebellion or sin. Sin is a barrier to us and our intimacy with Christ. And so fasting actually reveals our heart often. It reveals our motives. As a passage in Joel 2, 12 to 13, it says, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. I believe fasting often leads to greater obedience. We often um, give physical demonstrations um, which reflect our heart. Um, so, for example, baptism is a physical demonstration of something that's happened within our heart. Kneeling down is a physical demonstration of us humbly wanting to come before God. It's a physical demonstration of a heart response. So we often do these things. Fasting is the same. It's a physical demonstration of a heart response. And um, I think there's great power. We are linked. Our bodies are linked to our spirits. And if we do things with our bodies, it's connected to our spirits. And something moves within our spirits. All of us are spirits, actually. We're spirits with a body. Our spirits will continue. We might get a new body. We will get a new body. But we can engage our spirits here on earth when, by, when we move by physical demonstration through fasting. However, I would say you cannot trick God with a physical act. You can't just fast and think that you're right with God. You can't just kneel or even get baptized and trick God. He knows your heart. He sees all. So yeah, as we fast, you know, the Pharisees did it. It exposed their hearts, didn't it? Their wrong motives. They're wanting to get accolade from men. So we could fast, we could show a physical act and it could reveal pride or boastfulness or holier than thou. Horrible attitudes in our hearts which may not have come forth if we weren't um, doing this physical act of fasting. Okay, fourthly, fulfillment of prophecy. Um, there's an example in Daniel where he fasted and interceded for uh, scriptural prophecy to be fulfilled in his nation. So Daniel 9, 2-3 says this, 
He's speaking of a, a prophecy that he um, remembers and recalls. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord, Jer- to Jeremiah the prophet, so the Jeremiah the prophet brought up a prophecy, how many years must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So he was recalling Jeremiah's um, prophecy and then he prayed into it. And then it says this, so he recalled the prophecy and then he said, then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Are there any unfulfilled prophecies in your life? Has God spoken to you in the past and you haven't seen the fruit and it come into full uh, purpose? I employ you, maybe spend some time. You maybe have already, like Daniel did, recall back to the prophecy to God and then get before the king in prayer and fasting. Maybe as a church, we've got some unfulfilled prophecies that we'll be reminded of in the next few weeks as we lead up to our week of prayer together. Maybe we'll have them on the wall. Maybe we'll plead with God again and say, yes, Lord, come again. Release your power. Release the fulfillment of your prophecy in our day amongst us as a people. Fifthly, greater power. Before Jesus started his ministry, he was tempted in the wilderness, as I've already read, for 40 days. How did he prepare? Through fasting. In our kind of own minds, we think, how are you going to prepare for 40 days in the wilderness? I'm going to pack a whole load of things, a big pack lunch. And No, he abstained from food. He didn't eat. But at the end of it, was he on his knees, weak, vulnerable? At the end, it says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. He returned triumphant, overcoming the enemy, and then setting forth on his ministry. There's, far, there's power available to us. Hidden power. Unle- un- power that's not been yet unleashed in your own lives Potential power can be released through prayer and fasting. It's interesting that the, do you remember the passage in Mark two nine nine twenty nine where the boy, all the disciples were gathering around trying to heal this boy, and it just wouldn't work. Their faith, something wasn't working for them, and Jesus said, "This kind only comes out." through prayer and fasting. Power is released through prayer and fasting. I don't understand it fully, but I know that as we kind of journey together in this course of uh, seeing the supernatural in the everyday, as we long for signs and wonders amongst us as a church people in our community, We need more power, and we need power from heaven. We need power from God. Maybe, just maybe, we need to seek God through prayer and fasting.
finally reward. In that passage I read um, from Matthew 6, when it instructs us on how to fast, at the end it says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Hebrews 11.6 says, he rewards those who seek him. The Father does see what you discreetly do in secret, and it's powerful. He sees you discreetly not eating, missing a meal, and he says he will reward you. Now, I want to be really clear that this isn't some sort of bargain, some sort of exchange. This isn't, you're not earning your salvation. That's secure, that's separate, that's been bought and won by Christ. But God does reward you through your prayer and fasting. It's, um, so, as I've discussed, lots of, I mean, to be honest, there's lots of rewards we've already looked at. Intimacy with Jesus. He guides us, leads us into repentance, fulfillment of prophecies, release of greater power. These are rewards, aren't they? But there's a, a guy called uh, John Piper who says that actually we can see some of the rewards in the passage just before the passage in Matthew 6 about fasting. Well, we've got the Lord's Prayer, haven't we? And we, we shouldn't go past the fact that the Lord's Prayer is just precedes this passage on fasting. They're linked together. He's teaching them how to pray, and then he's teaching them how to fast. We sometimes miss that, I think. We focus on the Lord's Prayer. So um, we can look and uh, see... In the Lord's Prayer, how he might reward us. So John Piper says, uh, he suggests that look at his instructions. And um, so he says things like, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? That means let your name be honoured, revered, respected, known, cherished. A reward his name would be known in all the earth. Another reward, your kingdom come. Now we've kind of already discussed this about his power coming, his authority coming, his rule coming. This is a reward for us who pray and fast. His kingly rule and reign would be extended to all people. Your will be done. Through, through us, we want his will to be done. This is a reward that his will will be done. As we seek him, as we seek his guidance, his will will be done. In each of our lives, in this church's life, his will will be done. This is the reward that we see God and his heaven's will being done here on earth. And we can look at other bits as well. Give us... This day, our daily bread, we've already talked about that. Intimacy with Christ, namely Jesus, is our reward. He's the bread. He also, he's not just the bread, though, is he? He's, he's also 
and says, whoever's thirsty, come to me. He says, so it's bread and water, isn't it? It's just interesting that two man's basic things in the natural are actually things which are represented in Jesus. Bread and water. He's our bread. And he's our water. Anyone comes to him, will never thirst again. Never thirst again. We'll be completely satisfied. And then finally, forgive us our sins. It leads us to repentance, as we've shared already. Now, I'd love to kind of share a wonderful example of when I've fasted and prayed and you would all be so excited. But I, I can't give you an example like that, which is sad. But I'm praying that we will, as a body, start sharing times when we have explicitly fasted and prayed for something and we've seen God move in a miraculous way. But God does move and is moving across this nation, across this world. And I want to just give one story um, from Korea. Because now I'd love to give local stories. But this is, this is so huge that we can't go past it. Um, it's a changing of the whole nation. And this nation of South Korea is one known for prayer and fasting. So let me just read a passage. This is a, from um, a book by John Piper again, A Hunger for God. Let me read this. So this is just a bit of the history of um, South Korea. Uh, the first Protestant church was planted in Korea in 1884. 100 years later, there were 30,000 churches. That's an average of 300 new churches a year for 100 years. At the end of the 20th century, evangelicals comprise about 30% of the population. God has used many means to do this great work. One of them is the recovery, not just of dynamic prayer, but of fasting prayer. For an example, in the OMS, which is the Overseas Missionary Society, a group of churches, alone more than 20,000 people have completed a 40-day fast, usually at one of their prayer houses, one of their retreats. They go up to this mountain and retreat for 40 days. For anyone who has a passion for the supremacy of God, such a story cannot pass without awakening some strong desires. Here at the end of the 20th century, it's a bit late now, isn't it? At the beginning of the next. In America, the churches are stagnant, far less impact on unbelieving culture than we can long for. In Europe, the countries of one blazing, of once blazing reformation are now considered post-Christian and coldly resistant to life-changing evangelism. How can we not stand up and ask, could it be that the Lord would appoint a new season of fasting and prayer as a way forward in our day? So I hope, for want of a better pun, I've whetted your appetite. As I said, my intention is clear. I, I wanted to get you to the place where you wanted to sign up 
to the place where I want to, yes, I want to book an appointment now. I've given you some reasons. As we kind of lead up to our five days of prayer and fasting, I want you to seriously consider how you might get involved in seeking the Father for an increase of his supernatural loving power expressed through us in our everyday lives and our ministries as a church. So let me recap why I think we should pray and fast. To know deeper intimacy and focus, to receive clearer guidance, to be led to further repentance, to see the fulfillment of prophecy, to experience the release of great power, and to finally enjoy, to enjoy the Father's reward. At Beacon, we uh, aim to shine the transforming light of Jesus upon all the people we meet. That's where, who we are as a people. That's why we're here. Charles Spurgeon said this. He's a London pastor from a century ago. He said, our seasons of fasting and prayer at the tabernacle, which was his church, have been high days indeed. Never has heaven's gate stood wider. Never have our hearts been nearer the central glory. And then John Piper comments on this saying, getting near the glory of God is surely the key to burning with inextinguishable light and heat. If he was the, who was the light of the world fought for his fire with fasting, is there something to be learned here for our flickering wicks? <laughs>